As the coronavirus pandemic continues in this country, so too does a shadow pandemic. All across the country, Canadians of Asian heritage are being targeted as somehow being responsible for the pandemic. Canadians are being told they are disposable, like so many masks worn to protect against the virus. But this time the message isn't novel. I'm Adam Toy. And I'm Dave McIver. And this is why. It's been nearly seven months since the first known cases of the novel coronavirus were detected in Wuhan, China. And less than two months after those first cases were identified, Time magazine's Sonia Shaw wrote of a second pandemic, a quote, potentially more fearsome and shadowy pandemic. Before George Floyd was killed, this pandemic was infected with racism. Asian Canadians have been targeted, yelled at, spat at, and worse. People lashing out at them in the mistaken belief that somehow their Asian descent makes them responsible for the novel coronavirus. As Robin Gill reports, that is reopening old wounds. Andy Sue's flower shop in Toronto's East End has been in his family for 48 years, passed on to him from his parents. He grew up in the multi-ethnic neighbourhood and had never experienced racism. I got white, I got lilac, I got pink. Then he noticed his customers acting strangely when COVID-19 surfaced. People started being a little bit more apprehensive about coming inside uh, after the whole uh, Wuhan thing earlier in the year in the news. Uh, people started kind of questioning, uh, was it safe to approach me anymore just because of my Asian background? He was even asked if he had ever been to Wuhan. I've never been to China myself. Andy Sue's experience is like many, many other Canadians. Conservative Party leadership candidate Derek Sloan attacked Canada's chief public health officer, Theresa Tam, in April, using the racist dog whistle of questioning her allegiance to this country. Tam was born in British-controlled Hong Kong, but grew up in the UK, completing residencies and fellowships in Canadian universities and eventually becoming the chief public health officer in 2017. This is a lie. This is a communist okay, socialist lie. Where do we get our Wuhan communist virus? From China. From you guys. Communist virus. The communist. The communist. Where are you from? Where are you from? No, where are you from? I'm Canadian. And that was video of an incident on July 8th in a grocery store in Mississauga, Ontario. This week, Statistics Canada released a report based on more than 43,000 Canadians about safety of visible minorities during the pandemic. That study found that one in five of those visible minorities said racist attacks or harassment occurred sometime or often in their neighborhood since March. It's even worse among some groups. More than a quarter of black, Korean and Chinese Canadians and 22% of Filipino Canadians said there has been racist attacks in their own neighborhood. Only 10% of white Canadians say there have been those same incidents of violence and harassment. And just a few weeks ago, the Angus Reid Institute worked with the University of Alberta to release a report looking specifically at the experience of Chinese Canadians during this pandemic. That study showed that over 500 participants reported being called names or insulted as a result of the COVID-19 health crisis. 43% were directly threatened and a majority were treated with less respect than other people. To dig further into this study, let's bring in Dr. Kim Knowles. Kim Knowles is a professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of Alberta and also contributed to this Angus Reid report and joins us now. Thanks, Kim. Nice to be here. Kim, tell us more about this report. 
How did this survey come to be, probing sentiment against Asian Canadians? I and my, my research team at the University of Alberta had been working for um, the last five years on a project looking at how immigrants, particularly Chinese immigrants, settle into Canada and looking at how their language development related to things like how comfortable they felt in Canada, um, what their feelings of ethnic identity were, and you know what their interactions with non-Chinese Canadians were like. And then when things started happening around COVID and uh, we saw in the news that there was quite a bit of negative media uh, towards China and, and Chinese people, um, we realized that that was going to affect the settlement patterns for the group of people that we were interested in or had been looking at over time. And so we decided that we needed to pivot a bit on our research and start asking questions about what was happening to them during this COVID-19 pandemic. And so what did you find? Can you give us a bit of a summary? Of course, we'd heard through the media that, you know, people were reporting, um, you know, different incidences of racism and discrimination. And when we did the the cross-national survey, um, I think what was most striking to me was just how often or how many people were indicating that they had experienced some form of discrimination from feeling that they'd been treated with less respect to actually being physically attacked. Um, and so, it, you know, for instance, being called names or being insulted during the COVID-19 pandemic um, at least 50% of people said that had happened to them at least at some point during the pandemic, um, up to it being a frequent occurrence. So that was quite striking. That seems to be internalized when a significant percentage of these Chinese Canadians say they feel like an outsider, and nearly half of the people you spoke with were born in Canada. They feel like an outsider in the country that they were born in? That's right. And, um... People still um, reported that they were very proud of being Canadian and that, that, that being Canadian was an important part of who they thought they were. But um, people have started to feel like other people don't, other people, other Canadians don't accept them as much as Canadians. And so that's really quite, uh, quite disconcerting. And it's also, you know, especially for people who've been born in Canada, yeah, that's a problem. Something else that stuck out is that six in ten people you spoke with have changed their routine. So above and beyond the disruption already in place from the coronavirus pandemic, these Canadians of Chinese descent, six in ten of them have had to change their routines doubly. That mirrors data from StatsCan, who said that more than a third of Asian Canadians feel unsafe to go out alone at night. What was your reaction when you heard that a large number of these respondents have had to change their routines because of racism? Yeah, a lot of people said that they hesitate going outside of their homes um, because they don't want to get into an encounter that, um, in which they might be attacked, um, even verbally or, or even physically. Um, um, they, they're concerned, they express concern about kids going back to school um, and Asian kids being, or Asian Canadian kids being 
uh, bullied at school. So how long, there's a sentiment or there's a concern that this, even if the pandemic were to end fairly quickly, that this might be ongoing. And um, yeah, so people have, you know, thought that they, in some of the open-ended questions that we asked, people said that they thought twice about wearing a mask because they didn't want to sort of make themselves more likely to be targets, you know, where people might think they were sick and so they were wearing a mask and they also have Asian ancestry. So, um, so there's lots of things that are, even these good health practices, people might hesitate to use them because they don't want to be targeted. So there's, you know, of course there, there's, you know, the mental health issues that concern discrimination and feeling isolated, um, but also, you know, people who aren't able to go out of their houses are, you know, less, it's lessens opportunities for exercise. You can think about it on a physical health level. Um, if people don't wear their masks, of course, that's, you know, that's one way we can help prevent the spread of the virus. So there's, there's all sorts of um, implications for feeling like you're being the target of discrimination. Above and beyond the psychological impacts of being in this pandemic that everyone is experiencing, can you speak to the psychological impacts Asian Canadians might be having when racism is being piled on top of the pandemic stress? I think I think that's you know that's multiple sources of of distress um, of stressors, you know that can compound the level of stress that anyone is feeling. So. There's an extra thing to think about, an extra thing to worry about um, when on top of having to readjust your life because of the pandemic, a part of that concerns uh, having to deal with racism. Um, so we, ha- we haven't done any, we have collected data from a uh, general population of Canadians and we'd like to compare what Canadians are feeling in terms of their mental health and their physical health and what uh, Chinese Canadians are saying about the same things and then have a look at how much racism is adding to um, their experience. But we haven't done those analyses yet, but it's a very good question, a very good point that you raised. Kim, through your research, did you come to a conclusion about next steps in resolving or even just acknowledging these sentiments among Chinese Canadians? We still have quite a bit of of data um, to look at and to analyze. We focused first on the Chinese experience, um, but we're also going to look at the non-Chinese. We've also sampled from a non-Chinese population. And so we're trying to understand how, um, for non-Chinese Canadians, how they might have changed their attitudes and opinions about Chinese Canadians as well during the pandemic to try to better understand um, what's at at the root of that change, Um, hypothesizing that it has to do with feelings of threat and fear. Um, And uh, hopefully that can, on the one hand, um, help. uh, If we know more about that, we can maybe in some ways allay those fears. Um, And then, of course, um, on the other hand, 
you know, and next steps and looking at how we can support people in the Chinese Canadian community um, to get through these incidents. And of course, there's lots of community organizations who are already doing that kind of work. Um, you know, thinking about ways that we might encourage people to call it, um, you know, to call out people who might um, act in a racist manner, you know, in a way that's effective and doesn't just entrench beliefs or create greater confrontation. I think all those are things that we need to consider and how we might improve the situation, and that's where we'd like to go with the next steps in this research. Since racist incidents like these started happening, grassroots organizations have been tracking them. COVIDRacism.ca has a timeline that goes back to March and a map showing racist acts from coast to coast. And Project 1907, named for the three-day anti-immigration rally that erupted into violence and vandalism in Vancouver's Chinatown and Japantown, has teamed up with the Vancouver Asian Film Festival's Eliminate Hate Project to track anti-Asian racism, predominantly in Western Canada. Barbara Lee is the founder and president of the Vancouver Asian Film Festival, who just in April launched the Eliminate Hate project and campaign and joins us now. Uh, thanks for your time, Barbara. Hi, Adam. Let's talk about the Vancouver Asian Film Festival and uh, Project 1907 and how you came together. Okay. So back in early, well, even as early as January, we knew that a lot of the Asian restaurants were... Um, People were avoiding it. There was this kind of, you know, there was a little bit of backlash against um, the Asian community. It wasn't so much. And then as more people became aware of the coronavirus um, or COVID-19, we started hearing other stories where people were, the racist attacks, the verbal abuse was happening more often. And so we were like, okay, we come from a film background, so our our mandate is always about increased representation because we really feel that um, being seen and heard is the best tool to combat racism. So we came from it from that position, and we thought, well, we have we've been around for almost 25 years. We have a lot of people working in, in the space. But maybe we can help um, and, and pivot a bit more to address anti-Asian racism head-on. So then we launched a reporting um, tool that to collect data and collect r- reports of anti-Asian racist attacks. And then we also asked the public and our film community to submit uh, public service announcement videos just so that the victims know that they're not alone, that there's support, and that there is this, we acknowledge what's happening to them and we want them to give them a space to speak about it, a safe space. So Project 1907, on the website it says it's uh, providing space for the diasporic Asians to uh, understand history, explore identities, examine privileges and reclaim power, but then, like you said, that there is that, that reporting tool. Did all of this come up during this pandemic? Yes, so what was happening, we were taking our leads from some of the um, social justice, uh, Asian American social justice organizations in the state, and we modeled our our reporting tools similar to um, a A3PCon um, in in the U.S. And at the same time, Project 1907, we did not know that they were doing the same thing, and their reporting tools was similar to what we were doing. So when we found out about each other, and they had collected already over a hundred reports, we thought, okay, there's no point in duplicating it. So we decided to join forces and collaborate, and we're hoping that 
more of the Asian community, local Asian community will do that as well, is to come together and collaborate and work on anti-Asian racism together. How prevalent is anti-Asian racist sentiment in the Lower Mainland? Oh, I think it's very prevalent. I think in the Lower Mainland, we like a lot of people like to say, oh, racism doesn't exist, or there's no, there's so many Asians. Of course, there's no anti-Asian racism. But there, it's under the surface. And what COVID-19 really did was really pull the veil away, the sort of sentiment, the sort of resentment. And I think it's been there for quite a long time. And we feel that some of the media reports, too, have have exasperated the problem. You know, with a lot of reports, it's always been sensationalized reports like the foreign buyers driving up the real estate prices. The money laundering is, is, is because of all in just people at casinos. So there was a lot of these reports that, you know, even though they're quite isolated and they're just a few people in the community, the whole Asian community got painted with it. And the Chinese community in particular, but you can see with some of the racist attacks, it's not just it's anybody who seems to look Asian are the target. And I'm sure that given the scale and impact of the novel coronavirus pandemic and the prevalent scientific thought that the virus originated in Wuhan, China, that probably didn't help anti-Asian sentiment and, if anything, fueled it. Yes, yes. It seems to be, um, you know, a lot of people talk about, well, it's always, it's always about where, it's always named after where the outbreak starts. But H1N1 wasn't named after that. So, and and when you have politicians, especially down south, leaders that are calling it, you know, the Chinese virus or the Kung flu, that really targets a specific ethnic group, Chinese, rather than a location or a place. So I just think it 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 really gave people. They I think it allows people to say, okay. I can I can say whatever the president's saying. I'm just repeating, and it's true because he's saying it. So there's a lot of people in leadership positions that need to model better behavior and better language, and less racist language. It's interesting to hear you say that this pandemic has pulled back the veil, pulled back the curtain on how much racism is in this country. According to Statistics Canada, more than a quarter of black, Korean, and Chinese Canadians believe that racist attacks and harassment happens in their neighborhood during the coronavirus pandemic. And 19% of Southeast Asian, 27% of Korean, and 30% of Chinese Canadians believe that harassment, those racist harassments and, and attacks, have increased since the pandemic began. Do those numbers surprise you? No. Um, they are actually lower than I, I would believe. I mean, for myself personally, I've been experiencing much more racist comments, verbal abuse in in the last year than I have probably in the last 10 years. It just seems to be amplified. And I think it has a lot to do with the COVID-19, but also things that are happening in the city and the way the media reports some of these stories. So I'm not surprised. I think it may even be higher. That's just the people who've reported it. And we have offered um, an alternative reporting tool for people who may not feel comfortable reporting to the police. Is there a lack of race-based data by government organizations in the same way you hear about south of the border? Well, that's one of the things that we are asking, is we're asking government institutions to um, collect this race-based data so that we can find out what is actually happening. For systemic racism, um, 
it's hard to identify until you get that data, and then we see the patterns. And then when we see the patterns and and have the data, then we can go and do the work. So, yes, we need to do a lot more of that. That's why when we were starting our Eliminate Hate campaign, we looked down south. We looked at what the uh, social justice organizations that's working in the anti-Asian American space were doing and what they had as their data to work on, which is what we really need. I find it interesting also um, Angus Reid Institute in collaboration with the University of Alberta also released uh, some data last month about uh, you know a study that that, that, they had, that the two of them had done a more in-depth study uh, and uh, something that I found really interesting in this is the the percentage of Chinese Canadians now these were nearly half of, of the respondents in this 500 plus person survey were born in Canada, um, but there there is a, a high number of these respondents, these Chinese Canadian respondents, who agree with the statement that you know being Canadian is an important part of their identity. They love Canada and what it stands for. Uh, they feel a strong sense of belonging to Canada, but also that their Chinese ethnicity is an important part of their identity. Um, and, and but then you you c- contrast that with how often other they the, that these respondents think that others see um, them as Canadian, and only thirteen percent of them said all of the time, and about half of them said mostly. Yes, so I'm familiar with the Angus Reid poll, and it was very uh, really confirmed what we at the Vancouver Asian Film Festival were saying is that we are portrayed in on film intelligence as always a foreigner, you know, the other. And when people see images like that, that's what they, that's what then they internalize. And so, I mean, I've been in Canada since I was one, 14 months old, and I feel connected to Canada more than any other, any other country, even though I was born elsewhere, but I feel myself as being Canadian. And yet, many times you get the, where are you from? Where you you know what I mean is where your parents from, or and a lot of people who are English, Irish, German, they don't get that question. So we're always questioning. We're always being questioned. That kind of question is sort of a passive aggressive. Well, you're not really Canadian, so you must be from somewhere else. That is really you know, and it's hard because we are very proud of Asian heritage. There's a lot of things that. You know, the way we're raised, a lot of things that um, we feel very positive about. But we shouldn't, it's not, it's not one or the other. We shouldn't have to choose. We feel proud of being Canadian, being proud of our heritage. So I think that is a, it's a big issue. Now, at this point in the conversation with Barbara, the connection started dropping out, but she did have something to say about the message consistently fed to Asians coming to Canada, starting with the earliest recorded Chinese here in 1788, through the cheap labor the government relied upon to build the CP Railway, to the Chinese Immigration Act of 1885, to the immigration tax that amounts to more than 12,000 of today's dollars, to the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1927, and even now increased numbers of Canadians of Asian descent being so-called essential workers on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic as nurses, long-term care home workers, fast food workers, or meat packing plant workers. We've always been asked to come to this country to help build this country. 
the railroads, you know, the gold rush. There's always been um, Asian people asked to come for very cheap labor, but once they've used labor, they don't want us to be a part of it, and they've excluded us or get out of the country. And those, are, those same messages are being said to us today. Go back to where you came from. We've got what you, we wanted from you, but we don't want you. This is Why is produced by me, Dave McIver, and Adam Toy. It's a national radio show and a podcast. You can reach us by email, thisiswhy at globalnews.ca, and on Twitter at thisiswhy. If you like what you hear and you want to hear more, make sure you subscribe to This Is Why so you never miss an episode. We're available wherever you find your favorite podcasts, and while you're on there, give us a five-star rating. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you soon.